1 Thessalonians 5, 25 through 28, as we are finishing the book today. Verse 25, as Paul concludes, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And with that, the book, the letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter ends. What do you think about this statement? You're free to believe that stuff, Christianity. Just don't act out on it. Or you'll pay. That is what not severely repressive countries tell Christians. You're free to personally believe this in the comfort of your own home. You're free for you and your family to talk about it behind closed doors. Just don't act out on it. Now, severely repressive countries say something more like this. If we catch you believing this, you're in trouble. Meaning, it's against the law to be a Christian in our country. And then there are situations like this, where the state itself doesn't beat you up, doesn't necessarily imprison you, but they also do not really prosecute people who do beat Christians up. And there are mobs, and there are churches bombed, and there, there are all kinds of things that go on, and, uh, and people are rarely brought to justice. You know, those three scenarios right now this morning are happening in the Middle East alone, and happening in other places around the globe as well, and the Far East. Now, why do I begin this message like that? It's because that is what the Thessalonians were going through. That's what this new church of very new converts to Jesus who had tasted the love and grace of God, welcome to the kingdom of God. There was a riot. There was a mob. There were beatings. Jason was thrown, the, the kind of the early leader of the church was thrown into prison. Paul had to flee for his life, and we read in Acts 17 that he, fl- he fled Thessalonica. It just says that the, the authorities were just kind of, you know, mystified by all this. It doesn't say that any, anything happened to rectify the situation for the believers. You can read all about it in Acts 17. I'll just read a few verses so you can get the feel of this. Acts 17.4, some of them were persuaded to become believers, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women in the city had become believers and joined this little church. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the whole city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out into the crowd. And when they couldn't find them, basically to beat them, when they couldn't find them, they, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the, turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, I can assure you, those things that happened in Thessalonica did not happen because a handful, a small group of believers were minding their own business, privately, personally loving Jesus 
in their house behind closed doors. I'll tell you exactly why that happened. Because they were living it out. They were being the church. They were turning the world upside down. You ready for this? Simply by living out the gospel together. You know, in Christianity, we're not selling anything. We're giving the love of God away. In Christianity, you, you know, you, you, we're not making you do anything. They're, they're, they're not holding anything over you. It's just, it's just a gift. That's all it was in Thessalonica. But it evidently was very threatening. And they were living this gift out loud. They were living a quality of life together that was astonishing to the Greco-Roman world. Very different from what everybody else in that city was seeing. Just living the gospel out Loud together, yeah, turn the world upside down. You know something? Same thing happened today. People say, well, what is, you know, we're in a secularized society and we got all these religions and we got all this, the rise of Satanism, the rise of atheism. What, you know, what's the answer? We got to find the magic answer. No, we don't have to find the magic answer. The magic answer is simply the same answer it's always been. Living out loud the gospel as the church. It's so wonderful because like ordinary people like me and you can do that. I'm talking about just living, y'all. Just living and loving. Under the banner of Jesus. Under the truth of God. So even with all this that's going on that we read about in Acts 17, Paul finishes his, his letter and basically says, you know, I've taught you about the first coming of Jesus and I've taught you about the second coming of Jesus and I've taught you all these wonderful truths. And he says, it doesn't matter that it's dangerous. you got to live it out. Now, I myself would probably wonder, do, should I really like be that public? Should I really live this out? If they're going to beat me up, if they're going to throw me in jail... Yeah, he says, you've got to live it out together. Basically what Paul is saying is that there is no other meaning of life other than God's Son sent in the flesh to do what God alone could do for us. This is the rescue. This is the grace. This is the relationship. This is true spirituality. This is the meaning of life. It is life together in Christ. This is how the kingdom comes. It's, 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 not, it's not some difficult thing to figure out. It was happening, y'all, with a group, I don't know how many, 30 people in a city of 200,000? And something profound was happening just by people living it out. Now, Paul had assured them just two verses before our text, hey, look, God isn't going to leave you. In fact, God's very interested in you. He loves you. God's going to grow you. God is going to sanctify you. Chapter 5, verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful he will do it you're going to grow you're going to grow in every way you're going to grow in this meaning of life you're going to grow in love our lives are better because of jesus our lives are better because of jesus as we live them together all we're talking about today as we finish the book is how, do, how does God do this? He is faithful. He will do it. How does he do it? Well, Paul basically gives us three means of growth. Prayer together, life together, and the word of God together. Prayer together, life together, 
and the Word of God together. He begins in verse 25 by saying, Brothers, pray for us. Prayer together. You know, way back in chapter 1, Paul started the book by this, you know, the salutation, grace and peace to you. But the very first thing after he got through the salutation of the letter, you know, like dear so-and-so in our culture, the salutation. Very first thing he said, he says, we always, this is 1 Thessalonians 1-2, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. Basically, Paul starts this letter and ends this letter with saying, hey, we love you, we're praying for you, we love you, would you pray for us? And so he's kind of bracketed this letter with prayer. You know what that tells us, don't you? That tells us that prayer is important. That tells us that praying together, that somehow being the church means that we we have prayer for one another. Let me read a few passages of Scripture. Romans 15.30, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. You want to be a part of what I'm doing? You want to share my life, Paul says? Pray for me. Every believer needs prayer. We need people praying for us. Every believer needs to pray because one of the ways God changes our lives is to be with Him. He has birthed us into a new world, into a new life, a world of love through the church to pray and to pray for one another. Our prayers make a difference. And I'll tell you why prayers make a difference. Because God has made it so. In James, remember what James says, you know, we have not, we don't have, because we don't ask. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? You don't have because you don't ask. Can you deduce what that means? Not praying is not helpful. And praying is very helpful. And we actually have because we ask. And so our prayers actually matter, and we need the prayers for other, of other people. Um, what would you think about knowing for certain that you had a goodly number of people who regularly prayed to the Father for you? How would that make you feel, uh, especially if they knew you? Uh, there's a, one of my friends, you know, there's, there's only like... You, Everybody kind of meets a famous person in their life somewhere or they were in the same room or the same town or something. One of the few famous people that I have known is the author Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges who wrote The, wrote the Pursuit of Holiness and, and many other great books. Uh, Jerry Bridges, I was his pastor in Colorado Springs and we had a quarterly lunch for about three hours where Jerry Bridges would straighten my life out pretty much every quarter. And it was great to have Jerry Bridges straighten your life um, But, you know, Gene and I were at dinner with him one night, and he said something that just shook me. He said, uh, Jerry Bridges had like five prayer lists. He had like the everyday list, and he had the every other day list, and then he would add some, you know, a few days, and he kind of had the once a week people, and the once a, I don't, he explained it that night. And he just casually said, Joseph, you and Gene are on my everyday list. I'm like, dude. Like the like the the author that writes this stuff straight from God, I'm on the everyday list. I'm feeling so much better about life now. I remember we were flying to General Assembly, and and uh, Gina and I were waiting in the airport in Birmingham. This is when we lived in Tuscaloosa, and I can't remember. I think we were flying a good ways away, and she's a little bit um, nervous about the flight. 
And she said, I'm really nervous about this flight. I said, don't worry, I'll pray for you. And in walked Frank Barker, who uh, is my mentor and this really godly parent, pastor, you know. And she goes, I'm not nervous now. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, what about my prayers? <laughs> I feel, if Frank's on the plane, we're good, we're good. You know, how would, you, how would it feel to you if you knew that people that loved Jesus, who loved you, prayed for you? You know, that's what living out the faith in the church does. We, we know one another. We know one another enough to pray for one another. You know, every one of our Sunday school communities has prayer before we have teaching. Uh, I was in one this morning, and, and uh, there were some wonderful prayer requests that were given. There was some wonderful intercession given. But, you know, we not only need prayer and living out the faith is being prayed for, but we need to pray for other people. This is a part of the reciprocity, the one anotherness. Pray for one another. But you know, we need prayer because we just need to be with God. I don't know about you in prayer, but uh, there's a sense in my prayers that I can just kind of unburden my heart with God. You know, there are things that go bump in, in the night in my life just like there is in your life. And, um, and I can just say, God, here it is. God, would you help me? And you know, there are people in my life, and I'm concerned for them, and there are people in my life that are at critical moments in their life, and somebody in this church, and people I'm related to, and, and just to be able, isn't it great just to be able to just say with, with, with your heart as well as your head, God, would you, would you be with this? Would you help this? Would you open this door? You know, whatever it is that you're praying for, um, you know, the church, we're just praying for for God to bless and for God to open up the gospel here and around the world. Can you see these early believers? It's just this little band of believers. Now, they're growing because you can see that in the passage and not a few prominent women, it said. I always was curious about that. Um, but can you just see them with all this mob violence and everything? Can you see them before the Lord together saying, Lord, we got to live this out loud. This, this is the truth. This is grace. This is life. This truly is love. God, you got to help us. Can you see somebody in Thessalonica uh, after, after dark? I was going to say after the lights went out, but there weren't any lights. Uh, after dark uh, saying, God, I'm scared because I love you and I, I, I want to walk with you. Would you help me? I mean, this, this is an amazing thing. I watched a short video uh, yesterday put out by Voice of the Martyrs. It's a great ministry that talks about the persecuted church. Kind of started the sermon outlining three different scenarios of real persecution of believers happening today in the Middle East. This particular uh, place was way out in a village in India where the... Um, the authorities really aren't present to help out believers because there weren't any believers in this village. And there was this young man, um, this young man, his name was um, Suta. He walked into town. He started talking to people about Jesus. He started giving out gospel tracts. He started a Bible study. Uh, they told him to leave, that they, they didn't want Christianity. The elders of the village told him to leave. We don't want Christianity in the village. Uh, he said, listen, I'm not here to cause any trouble. Um, and he just kept talking to people about the love of God. They put him outside of the city, came right back in, and started talking to people about the love of God, and they dragged him out in public, and they beat him so severely that everybody thought he was dead. They took him out to a pit outside of town and threw him down in this pit and left him for dead. 
one of the uh, men, in fact, it was the original man who said, get out of town, he's one of the elders, was talking to his wife that night, and he said, you know, I feel very badly about what we did to that guy who came into town today. What should I do? He's probably dead. And his wife says, basically, you idiot, why don't you go check on him? Great idea. And so he, he, he says, okay, and, and this is at night, and he goes out, and sure enough, down in the pit is this motionless body. So he walks down, and he puts his ear down to the, to the man's mouth, and he's still breathing. So he picks him up, sneaks him back into his house, and hides him for weeks while they nurse this man to health. Uh, this man, Suta, comes back to, to health, and the guy says, he says, look, Surely you're going to leave town now. You know, I felt guilty. That's why we did this. I need for you to leave town, and I need for you to never come back. So Suta leaves town. Four days later, he comes back. And when that man that got to know him on his sickbed and his wife saw that he came back and saw how he was willing to live the faith out loud, that man said, I want to know more about this Jesus. That man became the first convert in a new church. And in this video, it's on Voice of the Martyrs uh, website if you want to see it, it ends with actual footage. This happened like two or three years ago. It ends with actual footage from a church service of just this small little group of believers now uh, in India. But there is this this one sentence that flashes across the screen at the end of the video, and it's a quote by Pastor Suta, and this is it. Pastor Suta, this is the one quote he wanted to put out there. I am a simple man, and without prayer, I am nothing. Can I tell you, Pastor Suta, who does not have a seminary education, knows so much more about the dynamics of the spiritual life than I do in many ways. And he sees that it's prayer together. He sees that this is the meaning of life and that prayer. So who's praying for you? Who are you praying for? This is what we do. This is standard equipment, standard operating procedure in the church. Secondly is life together. Verse 26, that strange verse, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Okay, prayer and kisses. It's very interesting. Uh, Paul is literally saying, kiss the people in the church for me. Now, before you get too uncomfortable with this, um, you need to realize that in Europe and, and in other, in Russia and other places today, people still, as a greeting that with people they know, particularly, they still kiss each other. Y'all know about that with the little kisses on each cheek? Uh, go to Europe, it'll freak you out. Um, in our culture, we shake hands with people. Sometimes we know people, we hug people. And, uh, and Paul is basically saying in his own cultural way that he has a relationship with these folks. He's been with these people. He knows these people. It's kind of like we're on the, talking to somebody and, and you know, we know their family real well and we say, hey, would you, um, would you give your, your sister or you, would you give your friend, our friend, a, would you give him a hug for me? That's what Paul's saying. So don't focus so much on the holy kiss, ooh, yuck. Focus on the relationship. There's something that's actually there that matters. That Paul says, hey, pray for us. We, we really need prayer. Hey, make sure you give them all a hug. How about that? Make sure you give them all a hug. This reflects life together. Um, 
There's something wonderful about the fellowship of God's people, about the church. The church is a gift. The church is not a burden. The church is a gift. The church is the bride of Christ. We are the church. And we need each other. And God made us to walk with Him. And He made us to walk with one another in His church. This also is standard operating procedure to be able to have brothers and sisters in this life and have life together. And I think um, of the three means of growth we're talking about today, this probably is the the most challenging, potentially. Um, We can find ourselves too busy for fellowship. I'm talking about the modern world. Too, Too busy for family of God. Too busy for kingdom. Together. But y'all, this is the only way the scriptures say that we can really live this out. There is no other way. We, you got to understand, you, you kind of join a church just to be under elders and to be under accountability, but you don't, there's a sense in which you are the church. You can't help but you are the church. You know, it's not like you become the church. You come to Jesus, you've automatically got brothers and sisters. You, you know, we got fathers and mothers and, and, and sons and daughters in the faith. We, the, the people, we need to know them. We, we have family members that are kind of ready for us to get to know. And uh, it's the only way the scriptures teach that we can really, truly grow in the faith. Um, there's, there's safety together, right? There's strength together. There's insight together. There's help together. Um, There's someone to stand between you and doing something stupid together. There's someone to spur you on to to great things together. And there's more prayer when we're together. And we are able to share life together. You know, here at Highlands, we worship together together. We meet in our Sunday morning communities together. Uh, We have Wednesday nights. By the way, we're back with Wednesday nights uh, in August, never to lose them again. Um, We have an an hour's worth of teaching, and we're, we're together. We have small groups where we are together and ministries where we are together. You know, kind of worship and this teaching and small groups and doing that. This is like the bottom baseline of the shape of our spiritual lives. And it's really about five hours worth, y'all. You know, it's just kind of like if there's somebody that you see more than twice in one week in your life in 2016, that person's significant because we're all over the place. Isn't that cool if we can actually allow our lives to be shaped by the means of grace and by togetherness in the church? We can become important. We can walk with one another, love one another, support one another right here. So prayer together, life together and then finally the word together paul says in verse 27 i put you under oath that sounds serious doesn't it i put you under oath before the lord to have this letter read to all the brothers meaning the whole church i put you under oath to make sure you get this truth from god this scripture this letter to the thessalonians out paul recognizes that we only grow with the word of God. Uh, do you remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus before, it's, his, it's called the high priestly prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. You ought to read that sometime in John 17. What's really cool about that is you see what Jesus was praying for them before he was crucified, before he left them. 
And one of the things he said about us as well as them was he said sanctify them, mean grow them, make them more like, like God, you know, uh, like himself. Sanctify them, Jesus said, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. What is Jesus saying? There is really no way to grow spiritually without the truth. And what is the truth? Because there's lots of truths, supposed truths on the internet and everywhere else. Sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I put you under oath. You better double dog promise me that you're going to give this scripture to the church. The ones I love, the ones that are asked to pray for me, the ones I said give a hug to them because I love them and I know them. There's a popular, although largely unspoken, notion today that you can have a Christian life without being a part of a learning community. That is wrong. That is wrong. Uh, and I think this is so key, and Paul thinks it's so key. This Look, Internet messages won't do. They're great. That's good to augment what you get in community, in the church, together, in life together. But you know, this is about prayer and life together, under the Word of God together. We pray better together. We love better and learn how to love better together. And we learn better together. Isn't it fascinating how people actually learn as a group better than simply learning all by yourself? We need the Word of God. You know, there's nothing like the Word of God. And in the church, we see it preached. We see it lived out. We see it not lived out and repented. We see humility and brokenness. We see grace when we're not living it out. You understand that? What we see here is God's standard and God's love. And we see how we receive that love, how God is growing us, yet we fall short of that standard and there is forgiveness. And that too is a part of the truth. And that too is a part of how we live this out. I think one of the troublesome things about church is that it's a little bit messy. You know, we actually kind of bump into people's real lives and we actually kind of have to take a little bit of responsibility for folks and we actually have to forgive people just as jesus has forgiven us but isn't it great when we're learning together and we're growing together and we see this lived out and we hear this and it's a continual lifelong growth there's nothing like the word of god hebrews 4 12 for the word of god is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what the saying is? The Word of God is alive, and the Word of God reads you while you read it. And when we learn together, we not only can have the Word of God read our hearts, but we can encourage one another in our failings. We can encourage one another in the weaknesses that we have. In fact, those weaknesses draw the grace of God. And forgiveness teaches us so much. We need to hear the Word of God read. We need to hear the Word of God taught. We need to hear the Word of God preached. I'm talking about together. We need to be able to talk about it as well together. You know, uh, the question would be here... Do you want to be in a learning community? 
It's not just do you want to learn some stuff. You can learn some stuff anywhere. Do you want to grow with people who are growing, learn by observing, as well as hearing? By the way, can I give you an aside? It would be really cool if you had someone read the book of 1 Thessalonians out loud to you this week, just like Paul told them to do. Maybe one chapter a night around the table, just to read it out loud as a letter, just the way God gave it. That would be an interesting experience to kind of go right back where the early church was and hear the word of God together that way. Hey, preaching, teaching, small groups, uh, there's so many opportunities. What a great investment of time. I think I counted up five hours for the basic shape of the Christian life through Highlands. So prayer together, life together, word together, and then Paul ends the way he began. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says, you know, everything is in the context of the love and grace that we've been given and we give one another you know the standard uh, ending of a letter was back then? Romans. You know, the Romans were just real. He changed the standard ending of the Roman letter. Okay, the Roman letter typically had this, this ending. Be strong, Paul, comma, Paul. Or prosper, comma, Paul. Because the Roman culture was all about yourself. It was all about getting up off your bootstraps. It was all about power. You know, the whole, even the word humility was like a dirty word. You weren't supposed to ever be humbled. You weren't supposed to be humble. Be strong. Prosper. And Paul goes, may the grace and peace of Jesus Christ be with you. Isn't it great that he says, hey, pray for me. Do this. Pray for me. Give them a hug for me because I love them. Make sure I put you under oath to read that. But even in all these things that we do to live the faith out loud, do realize it's because of what someone else has done for us. And we are always loved in the context of living out this Christian life. So we started with the notion of even with persecution and danger, Paul says, still got to live it out. And I think that you and I would probably agree that, you know, we might struggle at times if if we knew we were going to get beat up for living it out. We might struggle with pulling the trigger on that, you know. We might not meet. We might not come together with other believers because they might rush in there and haul everybody off to jail. Um, Do you find it interesting that in the absence of persecution, we kind of don't get this? Like we're free to do this? We're free to have like the normal Christian life, which is around the grace of God, King Jesus, who's king of his church, with brothers and sisters, all about growing in his grace and his truth. You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, in our culture, nobody's taking this away from us. We're giving it away. Trading a, our rich spiritual birthright for a thin bowl of populist stew. I need to revive an old phrase that's been used since the beginning. We need to be, quote, practicing Christians. Remember, you can believe it, but don't live it out. We need to be practicing Christians, captured by grace and living it out in the church and in the world. And today, right now, I'll walk down to this table and I'll tell you that you got up this morning, each one of you, and uh, I trust you took a shower or something like that. And you, you got your clothes, you had gas in your car. 
You got kids together and that wasn't easy for some of you. You got in your car, you drove here, and you, you drove here. Why did you arrive here? Because you wanted to be with God's people. What we did this morning is exactly what the early church was doing. Isn't that wonderful? And, and just standing here in front of this table, this is one of the practices of the early church. We are about to practice our faith by doing what they did, by really leaning into the grace of God. You know, he says, whenever you do this, it's, it's remembering me. We're about to practice our faith. We're about to do something. It's all about God's grace. And we're not just going to remember the cross. We're actually going to hold the bread. Jesus really came in a body. We can touch it like a body. We're going to drink the juice, but we're also going to commune with the risen Christ, just like those new believers under such pressure in Thessalonica. And I promise you, there's no difference. And God will be with us right now, today, just as he was with them. So let's consider what it might look like in the church to practice the faith in our lives and in our family. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would just show us yet again the glory of the cross. Lord, that we would just be amazed that you would do this for us, that there's nothing we can do to earn a relationship with you, to earn your approval or your acceptance. You have done it all. Thank you, Jesus, for this. And Holy Spirit, you have inhabited us, who put our trust in Christ, and you want us to live this out. Lord, would you cause us to just have a hunger for prayer and to pray for others and to know them, to connect with them and live life with them? And also, would you give us a hunger for the Word preached and taught and just digging into the Word in our own lives? Lord, would you grow us? And Father, would you meet us at this table? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.